0: Welcome to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, a show dedicated to cybersecurity challenges, solutions, a journey together, not alone. We are here at Channel Con, and I want to bring to you episode 93. Now on with the show. Welcome everybody to this episode of MSP 1337. I'm joined this week by Craig Beesing. He is the CISO to the Secretary of State of Colorado. Welcome, Craig. Thank hey, you, Chris.
1: Appreciate you having me on.
0: So as Josh has mentioned to you this is a show that is focused really on raw conversations as it pertains to cybersecurity and those that are basically carrying the the burden of responsibility and helping secure whether it be local government or state or or larger than that and and just kind of wanting to help our audience get better perspectives specifically around the role of CISO. Um, And so what I wanted to start with is, and we kind of talked about this a little bit before, just kind of give me your big picture of what does it mean to be a CISO? And, And one of the things you did say that I think is really important for our audience to hear is that being a CISO versus being the IT ops or IT sec ops engineer is that you have to have that Business acumen—you need to be able to talk about the things that are not ones and zeros, and you know how to give me the definition of SQL or you know CSS—the the things that the business side of the world really doesn't care about. So, so talk me through some of that because I think we could go down a rabbit hole on what it means to be able to take and translate IT acumen into to uh, business English or the the business world so that they can understand what we're talking about. But I think it's bigger than that, and I think that's what you were alluding to.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's not that. You know, the CISO needs to have an MBA or, you know, be extremely business savvy, but being able to have that vocabulary to have the discussion on both sides of the fence. They need to be able to talk to those engineers and the security professionals and have that articulation and know the acronyms to be able to um, speak with them and understand what's going on. But then they need to be able to translate that and speak to the board, the executives, to explain the why's and the how's sure. rather than getting into the technical details and all that stuff but how does this impact the business why does the business need to care about this yeah and then the other side is being able to understand the business enough that they can say yes we should be doing this but we can't do it this way because that'll impact the business or maybe we don't do this because of the business needs and finding that happy balance between security and business needs.
0: Do you, do you find yourself uh, having to function in a role of like a? Uh, you actually have to do some of the risk impact analysis or business impact analysis at, within your role. Like, I mean, to your point about to just say the words like, "Well, we can't do that because it impacts our business," right? You know, in most cases, when they say no, it's because it's negatively impacting it, not not yay, we get to do this and it impacts our business, right? Um, yeah. But but along those lines, I mean, I think about things like, and this is a trivial one, and and I, and it shouldn't or sorry, it should be trivial. And we find often that it's not saying things like multi-factor or two-factor authentication. And you get this suddenly like, we don't have a budget for that. And you're like, it's free. And I mean, just, you know, things like that. Do you, do you run into needing to, because that's, that's a tough one to explain from a business perspective.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely a, a good example. And with that one, even if it's a free um, product to add in, you're now adding education for users. You're changing their day-to-day login process. You're adding a couple seconds every time they log into their systems. And that can negatively impact performance. So you have to weigh that in. Um, With things like that, I find test groups are great for proving the the lack of business impact because you'll get pushback and people saying, hey, this is going to negatively impact our business and our processing and and our user satisfaction. But then you have a nice little pilot group that can come back and say, well, yeah, it sucked for a week, but now it's just our day-to-day business and we don't notice any different.
0: Sure. So do you, th- do you think though, and we didn't really say this, like this, so pilot group, is there ever a time when you get pushback that you're like, okay, in my role, I'm sorry, I can't compromise on this. What is it? What does something like that look like? It's especially considering you're, you're advising into groups that while you may have the authority to say you should do this, you don't necessarily have the authority to enforce this.
1: Yeah, fortunately, at least in my role, I have great um, senior management that supports me wholeheartedly. And that is a key component for having a CISO is they've got to have that clout and the top cover to make sure that they can at some points say, no, this is the way it's going to be. Now, I understand that the board gets to make decisions in some organizations of if it is going to dramatically impact the business, but if it's just a minor inconvenience, the CISO has to have that authority to just carte blanche say, no, this is the way it's going to be. Passwords. Um, Sure. MFA could be a good one, but I've had pushback on passwords, both password length and just having them in general. Right. And those have to be some things that, no, there is no compromise. You will have it on everything.
0: So I had this, uh, you know, uh, last week's episode in our conversation, um, I interviewed, uh, oh man, I'm going to totally draw a blank and say it wrong. It was the, uh, I'll just say it was the host of a podcast and I'll have to go back and correct this. But, But basically he was talking about the good, better, best model. And in, in the in the things that we go to implement, whether it's tied to people or just product services and, and in the good model is like, it's just equating it to this is an expense, like accept it, embrace it. It's all it is, is like we're adding, whether it's two factor authentication or the next gen AV product that I'm throwing in your system tray. And then the better was, The link to reduction in cost of goods sold and not necessarily the cost of goods sold like uh, I'm selling to you as, you know, say in your role with the Secretary of State, but but thinking about like, what are the cost of goods sold into our business that we're consuming, that because we've followed a better model, we've eliminated products over here, we've optimized somewhere else, or or we've found ways to say we've improved efficiencies, we've improved productivity. So this isn't a terrible, like you can show that this is better. And then the third one, which was the best one, is that linking it to revenue, like as an organization how is this impacting our our business? Because at the end of the day, whether you're a nonprofit or for-profit, um, you're still in business to not be in the red in an operating budget that's negative because that doesn't work well, even if the goal isn't to make money, right? Like, hey, we didn't have to hire more people to solve this problem, do you see some? Does that happen in in where you're at? Like it's like okay, this is the best case scenario, and maybe the the uh, best equals something a little bit different for for your space than it does for say a managed service provider. But is that something that you find yourself dealing with? Like how to measure and then explain that upstream?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, now being in state government, we don't have the issue of like revenue building. Of, sure. We are a self-funded office. So you do ge- generate revenue off of business filings, but as government, that's not going to go away. You're not going right. to not pay your taxes for something. Um, but we do have the fact of as the secretary of state's office, all business filings go through our office. So if we go down, if our network is affected, that affects these businesses. You can't register. You can't uh, keep your business standing up. So we are impacting local companies and infecting their revenue. Sure. So there is a lot of risk um, consideration that has to go into that of how is our stance, how are the things we're putting in place going to impact our customers that have no option to go somewhere else. So that's a Jeez. major impact to them. They can't just go, oh, hey, I'll just go buy from this vendor over here.
0: So you have to so, actually do an analysis on, in the event that you were down, what is the actual impact not just to our organization as an as a state entity, but what is the impact to the businesses that rely on us? Absolutely. That just that just to me is like daunting and overwhelming. And then I think about it, wait a second, any managed service provider that has clients, well, their clients have clients. So that would be kind of the same concept how many of them are actually going in and saying hey what is the cost to my client's client in the event that we are down or or even you don't have to go that far just my client right if we are down what is my direct impact to the clients that rely on us for our services and in in many cases with a managed service provider obviously they could go elsewhere right like it's not you know i'm in the state of colorado i gotta leverage the state of colorado resources but the reality is, so what if you can leverage other resources? It doesn't change the situation you're currently in right now. Flipping a switch, even if I could say, I, I would like to switch states and use a different you know, entity, that's still, it's not a button push, even if it was possible, right? Like it can't happen just because I don't like the current situation.
1: Exactly. It takes a lot of effort to migrate that and to change everything. And then you've still got your business reputation and uh, things like that to consider
0: but that's also a scenario that doesn't change for you either right like so um i could say that hey the business reputation of the state of colorado it's terrible it's in the tank but like that doesn't change the people necessarily in it yes now we're getting into politics a little bit but i mean you don't just it's not just gonna it's like it's like if i'm not happy with a police officer who pulled me over i don't just get to go and say i think we should revamp the police department but that can
1: affect the state revenue as a whole because if Businesses are seeing that hey, running a business in Colorado is is difficult. It's horrible. Yeah. Then they're going to go look at Texas, Oklahoma. Right. They're going to look to move their their business to another state.
0: And, and we're actually seeing that too. Right. That's actually taking place right now. I, we don't need to get into naming states that have this problem, but I mean, there's definitely exodus happening from specific states that have gotten overly complicated for businesses to operate in those states. Absolutely. So, okay. So that leads me to kind of the the next question. And this is kind of, so, you know, you have a, an office of it's you plus four, right? And and you're supporting, we just talked about a little bit, you're supporting all of these different businesses, which I think is indirectly, right? Like because of the, the services that you provide, businesses rely on what you're doing. Um, Talk to me a little bit about, you know, the 64 counties of Colorado that you're responsible for and helping with things like the election cycle.
1: Absolutely. So there's two major sides to the Secretary of State's office. One is the business filings, which handles all that, charitable organizations, notaries, um, things of that nature. The other side of the house is elections. Um, In Colorado, uh, we house and maintain the voter registration database and the voter uh, voting management system. So we work with all 64 counties who log into this voter registration database. Um, so we have to make sure that they have secure connections connecting into our database so that they can effectively administer an election and process all of their
0: voters. And in a lot of these counties, I'm sure, have pretty extensive IT departments to help their staff then? Some of them, yes. Yeah.
1: Um, in Colorado, for those not familiar with Colorado, we have you know, the I-25 corridor, which houses probably 80% of our state's population, um, so straight up and down this freeway, uh, but that does not cover very much of the state. There's a lot of mountain and rural areas that don't have high population, don't have huge budgets or IT staff, uh, but we need to make sure that they are just as secure as everybody else because they're connected to the same uh, voting systems, same data center.
0: And so now these are getting into, and, and of course I'm in Iowa, so I see some of this as well. You know, you've got the police department, fire department and city, and that's three workstations to support three different systems, all tied together by dark fiber or whatever it is that links yeah. the three together. If it's that complex uh, or, or it's just three separate internet connections. How would, how do you support something like that? Knowing the, the level of risk that you have on your plate for the compromise of, of an endpoint at that level, where, hey, you know, one click on a link is is a compromised machine that now has a doorway into you know voter registration database.
1: Um, that's another area where we're very fortunate in our state. Uh, we've got a great community of cybersecurity professionals, um, so we have a collaborative uh, network between the counties, between some of the local entities, the state entities, uh, to where we do threat sharing and we do knowledge sharing and support. Uh, if one county has an issue, we're finding somebody from another state agency or another county to go help them out. Gotcha. If they're missing a resource. Well, you know somebody will step up and volunteer to help them with whatever their issue is. In addition to that, um, Secretary of State's office provides some free services to counties that can't afford them. Uh, one is advanced malware protection. Uh, so they're required to have advanced malware protection on their endpoints to connect into the voter registration system. Sure. So if they cannot afford that based on their state budget, we provide that free of charge to them for those systems.
0: It comes out of your budget.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, it gotcha. comes out of some, some Somebody's funding budget. to our budget. For, yeah. But um, it does provide them that minimal layer of security to make sure that things are being alerted on and noticed. And then if there's an alert, we can obviously send help to uh, support them on whatever the issue is.
0: I mean, I think you just hit on something that I think is is not a, um, while it may be unique to Colorado, I think it's something that needs to be embraced more than it is in the private sector, where if I've got 10 clients and two of them can't afford the minimum security layers, that doesn't necessarily mean I should fire the client because they can't raise the bar. It's like, okay, well, how much of this can we actually pool across the other eight clients, if you will, to make sure that we don't have two clients that are basically lowering uh, our, our security posture just because money's the issue. And, and I think that um, money, in, the, in, in some cases, it is the issue. It's not a, uh, we just don't want to spend money. It's, it can genuinely be the case where like, that's just more than they can financially afford.
1: Absolutely. And, and that's another initiative we're working on. Uh, in this state, there's a ground up uh, initiative that they're working on. A lot of the counties have gotten together, uh, the various CISOs at the counties and building what they're calling the whole of state program. And that's an initiative to try and build a baseline standard. Um, for all these state, local, county entities, and to provide funding options and purchase agreements to where, you know, small county with minimal finance staff doesn't have to work through a contract with huge company managed service provider. That contract will already be in place based on the state population. So small county can come in and get that purchase at a good rate.
0: Right. Yeah. The, the the aggregate buying power of the entire state is trickled down to the municipality that only needs five seats, but the minimum seat purchase is fifty. Exactly. Gotcha. So so with with that, um, we've got a little bit of time left. What are some of the I hate to say like you're this like in the unicorn world of like because state and local government is this like siloed world that, you know, the larger audience that I have for the for this show doesn't see or experience what you're experiencing. But at the same time, every example you've given, I think, has been, uh, if not with a little tweaking, almost identical to the problems that are being faced in the private sector as it pertains to security and uh. In shifting gears and like lessons learned, do you see where we're going? Is it's really uh, about explaining that this is kind of like a cyber tax? Like we used to, you know, you, you pay taxes and as a local or a government entity, obviously you're not paying taxes, but like, this is a tax on the state economy. This is a tax on our federal economy. This is a tax on the private sector. I mean, you know, we used to say, okay, how much does it cost to put toner in, in, a, in a printer? And that's not necessarily a tax. It's the cost of, you know, consumable goods sold. But the reality is you're never going to run out of security that you could do. It's just really the cost now of of securing a business. Are there like, like these are the three things that I don't compromise on. These are the five things. And here's the live and learn why. I mean, I know I just threw a whole lot there at you all at once, but I, I guess my my thought process here is like keeping this on the same tracks, if you will, for, for the audience. It's like, where, where do you start? Right? Like this is a lot of, we've covered a lot of ground and a lot of different things that involve security. I mean, obviously a big one for me that comes to mind is working together, right? Like you can't do this by yourself. Maybe that's a big one.
1: Absolutely. Collaboration is number one. Uh, but to go back to your example, I love the fact that you linked it to taxes. I've always looked at it like insurance. you pay into insurance, hoping you never need to use it, you pay into cybersecurity, hoping you never get breached and have to pay, you know, the cost of remediating the breach.
0: Yeah, I can't take credit. I can't take credit for it. Uh, Dave, Dave Sobel, I call it a Sobelism. He has the the podcast, he's the host of business tech and I'm totally screwing this up. I know I'm totally butchering it, but, but it's, it's interesting. He focuses obviously heavily on the, on the business side, not so much the cybersecurity side, but what's funny and, and to, to give credit where credit's due on the tech side, it's, we, we know how to process insurance when it comes to things like I got hit in a car accident, right? I know who I can pick up the phone and call, and I have those numbers easily uh, reachable. So I would call insurance. I'd call law enforcement. And what's unfortunate today is cybersecurity insurance and talking about cyber attacks. If I were to pick up the phone because I lost, you know, a database, so many people are like, I don't know who I need to call first. I don't seem to have the phone number for A or B. Yeah. Uh, where do I start? Like, how does that like You know, in your space, obviously it's a little bit more segmented. But do you see some of the same things? Like, if you have a municipality that's, you know, the three man, uh, you know, fire department, they're all. Are they? How how does that look? How does education for a group like that look from your perspective? To say and to ensure, like, do you know who you call first? Mm -hmm.
1: No, and that's a great point. But that goes back to. um the whole state group that's one of the initiatives is to set up that call center. That is that first point of contact. Sure. Um, for a lot of our counties, our office kind of fields that, uh, we also have a, uh, it's called a kayak, um, the Colorado information analysis center. It's a state fusion center that has FBI Homeland security, um, state, um, at Bureau of investigation, um, several other agencies that are in there and they're kind of the, the central, um, law enforcement agency. Nice. So they're a good point of contact. Um, They can contact our office because all of the counties know our office dealing with elections. So it's an easy, I have no idea what we're doing. We're going to call them and then we can route them to uh, whoever can help them.
0: So I realize you deal with elections, but I would assume that it's not limited to that.
1: Our charter is definitely limited to that, um, but doesn't say that we can't offer up help if people ask. Sure, We just have no authority beyond elections, but we can offer suggestions and assistance if asked.
0: So, so being the charter is that siloed, that means that the stakes are obviously high because I would think that that's not a full-time job. And, and that's me being naive, probably, and ignorant about the whole election process.
1: Oh, uh, there are some people that work in elections that that is their full-time job. The election period is not, you know, the elections they're working year round, constantly busy. Uh, the election time period that's you know, everything's already in place by then. Now it's just going through the motions of everything you've prepared for the last year or two years.
0: Is that like being the tax guy, the CPA that is doing taxes and is crazy busy for the, the tax window, but he's still a CPA the rest of the time?
1: Yep, still doing finances, You're right? Still doing stuff all year long, it's not just tax
0: so if there was one, you know, because I kind of threw too much in at one time. What are what are some of the things that you have found that you go, I can't compromise on that? Like as far as whether it was a tool or a service or or uh people education that they didn't want to do, is there do you have an example of that?
1: Um, absolutely. Long passwords uh, by far number one every uh penetration test every assessment that we've had that's stopped most of them. Uh, We also use MFA, which is another great way to shut people down but there are ways around MFA, right, the only way to truly protect is to have that 15 character password um, with complexity upper lowercase, you know number symbol, and The thing that I help teach users with is that it doesn't have to be these random characters where you're just smashing on the keyboard and then you have to remember that odd string.
0: Oh, I just start with one key and go until I get to the other key and that's my secret. Yeah, yeah, yep.
1: The good old QWERTY password.
0: That's right. (laughs)
1: Now, but I mean, it can be a phrase, you can use a sentence, you can put spaces in most of them now. Yeah. Um, So that can help change it up, but use something that's unique to you that you'll remember, but it's obscure enough that it's not going to be on a list somewhere of passwords. So something funny about your favorite pet, or some childhood memory that you have, and just make a, a little passphrase out of it add in a number and a character in there somewhere between the letters or between the words and you're good.
0: So I I can honestly say I don't hear this often and you just said it. The the goal isn't to prevent altogether of, of say being hacked. It's what I heard you say is like slow them down and don't end up on the, that should have never been on some leaked database of passwords because it was so easy to figure out. Absolutely. I mean, brute force is killing us this, you know, this time around, right? Like brute force on, you know, seven, eight character passwords that are not complicated. Uh, I I don't know how many times I've had this conversation. No, I really don't need to figure out your password. I literally can just throw a database, a brute force attack tool at it, and it will do the work for me. And they're like, right, but you have to build that. And I'm like, here's where it gets crazy. I don't even have to build it. Yep.
1: You can find those all over on the internet.
0: So last yeah. since we went down this rabbit hole of passwords, or would would you then say on that? Because I, I think that we're we're if we are really good at password memorization, you might be able to remember five plus obviously way less than 10. Do you recommend like password managers or that kind of thing? And obviously, I'm putting you on the spot, but like password, a good password seems to be like I can remember a few of those.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely, and we have a password manager that we provide to all of our users for that exact purpose of, I want you to find these obscure random passwords that can't get brute forced, but I understand you can't you know, remember those and type those. Here's a password manager. It'll generate it for you. You never have to look at it. You never have to type it. Right. So you can make a just ridiculous password and never have to use it because it's going to be stored in there.
0: And I have dealt with that where I have the password manager where I got to log in on a separate system and I have to type it in. And I quite honestly, I'm like, by the time I finish typing this password, my session variable will have timed out and I still won't be able to get in.
1: Yeah, and, and most of them have like autofill and things like that. So once you're logged in, you yep. do your multi-factor authentication. Yep. You hit that, that's all you have to do. And it'll pre-fill all your login. And it's so much faster and easier. Uh, most of our users that are using it are just blown away and love it.
0: So last last question um, before I let you go, is this is sort of lessons from a CISO. What's one thing that, I mean, you've given us a lot. What's one thing you would recommend to our listeners that, that you've learned along the way that's not, say, you know, obvious? Because I think, not downplaying passwords, but passwords at this point in time should be obvious that we need to do that, right? Like, this shouldn't be like, oh, wow, you know, I was listening to that MSP 1337, and they're like, you should have 15 character passwords. And I'll, I think it's great to reinforce that. But like, and sadly, I'm sure so many of us need to still hear that. But like, there's got to be something that, you are know, like, I'm going to be like, never in a million years thought someone would say something about that.
1: Yeah. And I would love to throw out a tool or something like that. That would be the best thing. But what I have found is walking around and talking to people. That <sighs> is, it's huge because yeah. when you're just that person that's sending out emails, they get deleted, they get ignored. like oh it's it's the security guy with the tinfoil hat you know whatever he's just nuts yeah his eyes keep rolling in the back of his head (laughs) exactly but if you walk down and talk to have a conversation about something non-work related build a little bit of rapport so that when you come up to their desk when there's an issue they're not oh crap and deleting stuff and you know closing drawers and freaking out it's yeah oh hey how's it going and they're much more receptive When you're trying to push things and when you want to find a test group, when you want to do that new initiative that's coming out, you'll have volunteers. You'll have people that will actually be vested in it because they care about you as a person and understand that you care about them and you're not just trying to cram something down their throat.
0: How often do you find yourself doing like security awareness training?
1: Uh, We have annual training that all of our users are required to take, um, but we do um, periodic emails and videos and things like that, that we'll send out to our users for, you know, one-offs of, Hey, this is kind of a concern right now. This is out yeah. in, the, in the wild, watch out for this stuff. Uh, we also do uh, at minimum quarterly phishing exercises. I love it.
0: I, I'm always a fearful of like, Hey, you know, out of sight, out of mind, we gotta We check the box for annual security, you know, training, but how often is it really front of mind? Uh, Craig, I, I appreciate uh, taking the time out with me today. For those of you listening, this has been MSP 1337. Thanks and have a great week.